but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. That's our theme verse from Acts chapter 8, verse 4 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar will continue in our series, Church Empowered, with this week's episode titled Evangelism. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. All right. Nobody telling everybody about somebody. Oh, it's good to see you. I can only see your eyes, but you know, the eyes are the windows to the soul. So that means I can look all the way into your soul this morning. We continue our series, which I have called Church Empowered. It's a survey of the book of Acts. And I hope that, I hope that you sense that power. I hope that you've experienced the Spirit of God. The theme verse, and we'll be in Acts chapter 8. The theme verse I've chosen is from verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So this morning, we will focus on evangelism. Now, the Greek word that we translate in the English evangelism is euangelion. That's not a Greek letter. Those are, that's an English word, but it's a transliteration. And what it means is announcing good news or preaching the gospel because the gospel is the good news. It's also sometimes translated glad tidings, although we don't use the word tidings much anymore, do we? So from this passage, Acts chapter 8, I'm going to pull out four characteristics of evangelism. My, my reasoning is that as we understand evangelism biblically, particularly in those early days of the church, it will encourage, it will inspire, it will instruct us to fulfill the calling of evangelist. Anybody think they have that calling? Who has the calling to do evangelism? Every one of us. The Great Commission is to us all. Sometimes we say, oh, well, I'm not an evangelist. Oh, well, are you a Christian? Then you have good news to deliver. So first we see that evangelism is extended by difficulty. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul, whose name will later be what? Paul was one of the witnesses to the stoning of Stephen and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So here we see some insight into the nature, into the character of the man that we would later call Paul. The stoning of Stephen unleashed broad persecution. We've seen that some in, in some of the rioting that we've seen. It's, people are hesitant to do something violent, something destructive until it gets started. And then it's like it's just unleashed and it spreads. And that's what you saw here. They, I think they were hesitant at first to attack these, these believers. They had some skepticism about them, but they didn't really have any, any crimes they had committed. 
And then Stephen, after being falsely accused, was stoned so viciously and persecution swept the land. The great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Wonder why the apostles didn't flee. Why didn't they flee? You got to lower it to say that. I, I heard here, I almost heard there. They, they weren't afraid of man. I think that's a good point. But they also had responsibilities in Jerusalem to these other people. They had the responsibility to continual evangelism. See, we think putting down the uprising may be what, what we're called to. We're actually called to change hearts by the Spirit of God and by the good news. And so they saw their calling was to remain, to preach, to shepherd, to disciple as all the others scattered, running for their lives. Now, what we see here in verse two, some devout men, these were not likely Christians, but they were devout Jews. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. You know, Stephen, remember, was likely part of a Hellenistic, which means Greek speaking or, or Greek influenced Jew. And he was part of a synagogue. These men likely were part of that same synagogue. They thought well of Stephen. They came and they buried him with great mourning. Now, what you don't know about the Jewish culture is when a criminal is buried, you're not allowed to mourn under Jewish law. Their mourning was a protest to the officials that this man was wrongfully put to death because they cried out loudly and mourned the death of this man that they knew was a good man. But Saul, who we know as Saul of Tarshish, he was another Hellenistic Jew, he was a Pharisee, was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Women were not usually treated cruelly. And yet that's what you see here. The women were treated cruelly as well. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Do you think God would use suffering to spread the good news? Yes. Now be careful. Be careful. You see, here's the thing. Christians, we like to all huddle together, don't we? But you can't salt salt. And this world needs salt to retain spoilage, to give flavor, seasoning. So God will disperse us into different areas where we're needed. 
We, we may not like it. Oh, my job's transferring me. Oh, I, I got to go to move to a new office. I'm new, moving to a new city. I'm being transferred overseas. But have you thought that it's God who is over you? See, folks, in the middle of this chaos, and it doesn't matter to me which way you voted or anything else, but I want you to know our ruler doesn't run for re-election every four years. He's on the throne always. And so we need to be careful if we're too caught up in thinking a politician of either party will fix our lives. We belong to Christ. And in Christ, we belong to each other. And so what we see here is that God will move us out of places of comfort. The enemy of evangelism isn't ignorance. We think, I don't know enough. Oh no, you know your story. That's all you have to know. The enemy of evangelism is comfort. It's complacency. And it takes a very strong person to walk away from those two things, doesn't it? So often God has to dynamite charge us out of that. God starts tearing up the nest. Birds will tear up a nest sometimes to get the chicks to fly because they don't want to leave. Mama's bringing the food. It's warm and comfortable underneath her until she starts tearing up the nest. Some of you right now are all upset because your nest is getting all torn up. And there's a threat that you might get dispersed somewhere that you're really needed. That you're really needed. Got an email this week from a young man named Kyle. He came to our church 20 years ago right after being saved. And he spoke of, of, of different people and different pastors teaching him the word, discipling him, growing him. Shortly thereafter, he was transferred. He went several places, it appears. Sometimes he found churches that would instruct him, other times not. But, but he finally found the place and he was ended up in Florida in a place where, where God really spoke to him. And for the last six years, he and his wife and three children have been missionaries in India. Now, he didn't plan to do that 20 years ago, but he just was here. He was taught. He was trained. He was discipled. And some of you are on the very, that very path. Simpsonville may not be the end of your destination. God may be preparing you for the next step. But wherever you are, even if he doesn't move you to a different city, he's called you to a mission. And it may be that your new partner in the office who you don't like. Anybody have someone nearby they don't really like? You don't have to raise your hand. The unsettled person, the anxious person, meaning the angry person is the very person that needs Christ. Is the very person that needs Christ. So being unsettled, being scattered doesn't mean God's departed from you. It actually means God's hand is on you and he's directing. Evangelism is also endorsed by miracles. And we see this beginning at verse five. 
Philip, for example, remember Philip was one of those who were chosen to take care of the Greek widow. So he was a, a respected man, a man full of the spirit, went to the city of Samaria. Now we don't see it in this text, but they've just, it has just said that they were driven out. So it may not have been that Philip wanted to go, but he ended up in Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. Now, who were Samaritans? From reading the Bible, you know that the Jews and the Gentiles had a good relationship, right? Did they? They didn't like each other. See, Samaria is the middle of Israel. You see there, Galilee in the north and the, the Sea of Galilee, Judea in the south where Jerusalem is located. There's Samaria in the middle. But the Jews in the south thought themselves better than the Samaritans in the middle. They didn't much respect the Galileans just because they were lower class workers, shepherds, laborers, farmers, that. But they really despised the Samaritans. Because the Samaritans, see, were people who had been captured and they'd been sent out of Israel by Assyrians. Well, the Assyrian king sent other people from all around into that country. Because, see, he, he was trying to mix the culture and eliminate Judaism, restrict Judaism by bringing people from all over that all, had all kinds of different idolatry that they practiced. Well, those people intermarried with the Jews. And so the Jews, thinking themselves open-minded, one, married people of a different faith, then embraced their faith. Doesn't that sound open-minded? Tolerant, we embrace. So these people didn't reject Judaism, they just added idolatry to it. Now there's a word for that, syncretism. And it's when you take your faith and you mix it with all kinds of other things. Of course, it can be idolatry, but there's a lot of forms of idolatry. Syncretism can be when we mix Christian faith with materialism, with power, with anything that isn't part of the faith as described to us by the scripture. And so these Jews hated these Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews back in return. That's why the story of the good Samaritan is so startling that a Samaritan helped a, a Jewish person who'd been injured because the Jewish person would have resented the Samaritan for touching him, much less helping him. That's how deep the resentment was. The Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds. They were beneath them. And yet, that's the very place where Philip was sent. And then we continue. The crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and to see the miraculous signs he did. Okay, they were attracted to the miracles, yes, but don't forget they had embraced the Jewish faith too, so they knew something about this Messiah he was talking about. They weren't completely ignorant about that, so they were interested in what he had to say, but they were also interested in the display of power. And so we see it demonstrated here. 
and many evil spirits were cast out. And they screamed as they left their victims. And many who'd been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the land. Do you think demons are around today? In, I've been here 27 years, 28 years, I can't remember now. Um, Only a couple of times have I encountered what appeared to be demonic oppression, possession like this. And yet I've seen demonic influence in lots of ways. But see, a demon like this that fills people and causes them to act in very strange ways would drive people in our culture toward Christ because it'd be so shocking. Not so in the third world where it's a, a battle of power, which God has more power. In this culture, I think Satan's influence and the influence of demons just lulls us away from pure Christianity. And so we compromise the teaching of our faith, particularly the morality of our faith. And so we're seduced by money, by possessions, by power, by uh, sexuality, by promiscuity, by today you hear more and more of depraved sexuality. And so demons find our culture, it's easier to seduce people in, in, with those temptations than these shows, these demonstrations of great power. You see the difference? But demons are alive and well. They just show themselves differently in our culture. They're dressed up attractively in our culture. Now, there was a man named Simon who'd been a sorcerer. The Latin is magus. So some people call this man Simon Magus or Magus. He was there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. So you see the ego there. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. And they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic. Do you think he really performed magic? What do you think, Faye? Jack, you agree with your wife? Well, that's a good thing to do. Though I think both of y'all are wrong on this point. Oh, it's his fault. Perhaps it was sleight of hand, but perhaps it was magic. Satan can perform feats of magic. Demons are capable of what appears to be supernatural. They're supernatural. They're just not godly. Pharaoh's magi turned their staffs into snakes as well. But Aaron's ate theirs. So we don't have to automatically say, oh no, this can't be real magic. There can be real magic. There is real magic of a demonic origin. 
because magic not from God just turns us away from God. Look at our culture. They're all caught up with all kinds of powers, aren't they? Crystals and potions and spells and all sorts of different things that all have some level of power, but the source isn't God and the source isn't his spirit. They listen closely, as I said, because they'd been astounded by Simon's magic. But now they believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized. But what's implied here is that these followers of Simon who were mesmerized by his magic are now being inspired by the message of Philip from Jesus Christ. And so they're turning to Christ and Simon feels threatened. And so it says then, then Simon believed and was baptized. And he began following Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and the great miracles that Philip performed. Now read, remember I've taught y'all, read this passage closely. What's Simon amazed by? What's he amazed by? Miracles. Signs. You see anything about him being amazed about the message of Christ? He likes the power. He likes the drama. He likes the, 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 the miracles that Philip performed. You say, well... Is it wrong to be inspired? It's not wrong to be inspired by miracles of God. You say, well, why don't we see any? Anybody feel like that? Why don't we see any miracles? Wonder you ever thought that? Why don't we see any miracles? Has God forsaken us? Miracles take a different form. You know what? When I scan this room, I see miracles. Because you know what? Turning staffs into snakes is nothing compared to turning a sinner into a saint. And I'm talking about a follower of Christ's saint. The greatest miracle is when God turns a lost person who is dead spiritually into a lover of Jesus Christ. And begins transforming that person who lived selfishly, self-centeredly, which our culture says is the right way. Look out for yourself. And that person becomes more and more consumed with Christ, less consumed with self. Is there a greater miracle than that? 
God is working miracles. There's a, there's a young lady sitting in front of me here who grew up in a Christian home. She's musically talented. She played the organ in churches. She played the piano in churches. Her grandfather was a pastor. She prayed, but the prayers didn't go anywhere. And then in her 80s, she encountered Jesus Christ. Is that right, Jean? You were sincere all those years. You just didn't know the Savior. And now you're a walking miracle. And Jean's wonderful, but Jean's not rare in this room. Regeneration, being born again, is the greatest miracle possible. And you're an evidence of that. Evangelism is also empowered by the Spirit. Enlivened, I mean, by the Spirit, meaning give life. And so we see Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he began, I read that, began following Philip everywhere. Come down to 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people in Samaria had accepted Jesus, God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Does that that look odd to you? The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Were they saved? Unsure. Then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a little bit confusing to me. Is it a little confusing to you? Because you've all heard me say that you receive the Spirit and you're born again and saved all at once, right? Isn't that what we believe? So what is going on here? Well, I told you something about this period of time regarding the Holy Spirit, remember? It's a transitional time in the early church. We saw these men who were following Christ, who believed what Christ taught. Christ was with them. He left and ascended. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit essentially took the place of Jesus in the flesh. And Jesus said, it'll be better for you when you have the Spirit who remains in you always. Now, anyone that was born again could only be born again by the Spirit, but the Spirit didn't stay. Now, these people in Samaria, were they all born again? I don't know. But here's when they received the Holy Spirit. And here's what I think think it means for us and especially if you understand this culture the Jews received the spirit the Jews remember looked down on the Samaritans the Jews thought they're the people of God nobody else is 
And so here you see the spirit of God that fell on the Jews at Pentecost now fell on the Samaritans. And it shows that these two groups are equal in the eyes of God and they both have the spirit. Another thing it does, these people disliked each other. It would have been understandable, maybe even likely that they would have set up two completely separated churches, right? But by having the Jewish leaders of the church come and lay hands on them and through them the spirit was given, it combined these two segments of the church into one church with one set of leaders. So we see God doing a work here to show that in him there is no Jew or Gentile. There is no Jew, Gentile, or Samaritan. There is no black or white. There is no Hispanic or Asian. We are one in Christ. We have one spirit. We have one baptism. And we're unified in Christ. Now something surprising happens there with Simon at verse 17, down to 18. When Simon saw that the spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money. So they must've had some kind of outward display. We don't know if they, if they spoke in tongues here, but somehow he, it was something observable. Maybe he did see the tongues of flame fall. He offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord and perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitterness, bitter jealousy and held captive by sin. Now is Simon a saved person or a lost person? Looks lost, looks lost. There's some debate about this, but his response to this statement is telling again. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. He, he doesn't seem to be convicted about his sin toward God. He seems most concerned about what? What might happen, the consequences. Have you, have you noticed that sometimes when people get confronted in, in their sin by their own conscience, by another person, by the spirit, whatever, what, whatever vehicle, there's different ways of responding. And 2 Corinthians tells us this. There's a sorrow that leads to repentance and faith. There's a sorrow that leads to what? 
It leads to death. See, seeing sin that only turns to shame or denial or anger doesn't bring you back into relationship with Christ. And it may mean you never were in relationship with Christ because conviction should always bring us back to Christ. It's like the the loving parent that disciplines. The child comes back for comfort. The child that is disciplined and turns to resentment toward the parent, there's a break in that relationship. You see the difference? When when confronted, when convicted, what's your path look like? Toward God in repentance, away from God in anger. Because that shows where you are spiritually. Evangelism is also encouraged by the Spirit. And we see His guidance. As for Philip... An angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. There were two roads. This was the least used, roughest road. And so the spirit is saying, go down this road. But you don't see, you don't see Philip saying, why that road? That road's not as good. There aren't as many people on it. It's more dangerous. It's harder to travel. So he started out without objection without resistance, without hesitation. And he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kandek, which is a title, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. So he was a man that was seeking after God, but doesn't know him yet. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he had gone to great expense to purchase a scroll that would have been very, very rare during this time. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. The Spirit's telling him where to go. Does he tell us where to go? He does. The Spirit tells us where to go because the Spirit has already prepared the person we'll meet. And so Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. That's from Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53 is likely the clearest enunciation of the good news in the Old Testament. So did the Spirit guide him to this passage? Did someone point? We don't know. But he's reading a passage that is expressly referring to Jesus Christ. 
But the eunuch is, is confused. And he asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. What did it include? I don't know. He probably explained that the lamb was the Messiah and the Messiah was Jesus. And so he, he just shared the good news, the gospel. And something happened in this eunuch. Because we see as they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He had believed, he had embraced. He ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. I don't want to hurt any of you Presbyterians' feelings, but I think he was immersed. <laughs> I guess that includes Catholics too. I think, he, I think he was immersed. He went down into the water. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. There's not much here, is there? But there sure is some indications of salvation in this man, aren't they? You see a lack of these indications in Simon Magus. You see some very clear indications in the eunuch. What Indications are evident in your life, in my life. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. You know, you might say, well, why doesn't the Spirit just do all of it? You ever wonder that? Why doesn't the Spirit, why, why does the Spirit, why did the Spirit use Philip? Because God has joined us in his, as his partners. And God's called us to do that part that we can do. And then he does the part that only he can do. See, you can't convert anyone, but you can tell your story. You can share good news. And then you can pray that the Spirit of God illuminates that message. Doug Wildman in our staff used to live in Canada. And while there, the Spirit led him to share the gospel with a Muslim friend. So he went to meet with this friend and the friend told him that the night before he had had a vision of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus actually appeared in his home and touched his wife who was suffering from cancer. She was healed and it was confirmed by a physician. See, God works in partnership with us. He sends us to share good news that he illuminates to change lives. God will do his part. 
will we do ours? Who is the Spirit right now pointing out for you to speak to? Our spiritual practice this week is to reflect. You can even begin now. Reflect on who shared good news to you when you were really born again. And I urge you, write it down. Write down how it happened. You can send it in, in fact. We're still collecting miracles. The stories I referred to, we received that were sent in. And will you share your good news? Romans 10, 17 says, for faith comes from hearing. That is, hearing the good news about Christ. Will you share it? Father, I ask that you would show each one of us who you've prepared for us to speak to. Lord, who do you want us to share our stories with that you will illuminate and they'll be born again. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our care, our care counselors will be here. They're here to pray with you. They're here to anoint you with oil if you're comfortable with that. But they're here for whatever need you have. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. Here's this week's spiritual practice. Who shared the gospel with you when you believed and were born again? Is God directing you to tell your faith story to someone? Write out your faith story and share it. At Brookwood Church, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Thank you for listening and have a great week.